You know, as a general rule, I don't like window seats on airplanes. I never have. I like the aisle where I can get up when I want to without disturbing the people sitting next to me. So it was kind of annoying when a flight last summer got canceled because of weather, and by the time they got it all sorted out, I ended up reassigned to a window seat. Annoying, that is, until I got over myself and looked outside. I was flying from Los Angeles to Denver on my way to give a talk there, and our route took us right over Antelope Canyon, Zion, Bryce Canyon, Grand Staircase, Escalante National Monument, and Capitol Reef, to name just a few of the formations that call the region home. So when I looked out the window to steal a term from my friends in South Africa, I was gobsmacked. First, the airplane window was crystal clear. That's really rare. Second, the sun was low in the sky and oriented at an angle so that there wasn't any glare. In fact, it was that magical, ephemeral time that nature photographers love called golden hour, when the sun is getting close to setting and everything is briefly washed with a warm golden tone. There were great yellow plateaus with shadows washing stripes across their faces, deep canyons banded with swaths of gold and red and ochre and olive and white and pink, the work of ancient rivers, black volcanic intrusions, and wave upon wave of folded rock, evidence of the great tectonic pressures that shaped the land. I photographed all of this. In fact, I wrote a book about it called Tectonic Tapestries, but if you'd like to see some of the images I took, I'll put a link in the program notes that will take you to a document with the images in it, along with a transcript of this program. The landforms that we passed over were stunning, but what really caught my eye were the tracks of the rivers. Emerging from the canyons they had created, the rivers flowed wide and dark, but as they passed over the flatness of the desert, they became narrower and highly branched, a shape known as dendritic. The word comes from Greek, and it means tree-like because of its spreading, branched shape. You may recall the word dendrite from biology class, the name for the branched structure of the nervous system. Okay, so now let me invite you into the Wayback Machine for a moment, and we're going to travel forward in time to today, late March, in northern Vermont, where I live. We had a major storm over the weekend that dumped a lot of snow on the ground. I cleared the driveway and walkways and made a path to the trash cans. Then the weather got all schizophrenic on us, as it often does this time of year. The sun came out yesterday, and it warmed up into the 40s. The snow melted, and water washed across the driveway and into the street. I knew what was coming, so last night I salted the driveway. Sure enough, the temperature dropped overnight to well below freezing, and had I not salted, the driveway would have become a skating rink. Now, I told you all that, so I can tell you this. A little bit of the snowmelt compound always makes its way into the garage, and sure enough, when I went out this morning to run a few errands, I noticed that a small puddle of water on the floor behind my truck had evaporated, leaving a stunningly beautiful dendritic pattern of salt crystals that looked just like the riverbeds of canyonlands. The entire structure was small, barely two inches across, but absolutely gorgeous. Well, my curiosity kicked in. Why? Why that structure? If you visit the SoundCloud site for this episode, you can see a photo of the salt crystals, and I've also included it in the episode transcript with the other photographs that I recently referred to. So anyway, I dug in. I wanted to understand this. Well, it turns out that while the dendritic pattern looks the same in both situations, the river flow and the crystal formation, 
the reasons are different. In the case of flowing water, the dendritic pattern develops because the river is flowing across a geographical surface that has a very long, gentle slope to it. The smaller branches don't flow out of the river, they flow into it. They're tributaries, approaching and joining the main river at angles that are less than 90 degrees. Okay, so that takes care of the dendritic pattern that mesmerized me on my flight to Denver. But what about the crystals on the floor of my garage? Well, turns out that's a little bit more complicated. We talk about the stuff that we scatter on driveways and sidewalks and roadways as salt, but that isn't technically accurate. Pure salt sodium chloride or calcium chloride in some cases for the chemists in the audience, forms crystals that are little tiny cubes. And you can see this by looking at a few table salt crystals under a magnifying glass. They look like little square boxes. But if you add impurities to the salt, especially metallic impurities, then you get different crystalline shapes, flat, wide flakes, and dendrites like the ones growing across my garage floor. Well, it turns out that dendritic salt crystals form when concentrated salt solution, brine, contains small amounts of ferrocyanide ions, which road salt contains. In fact, it's added deliberately because it prevents the salt from caking and clumping before you scatter it on the driveway. Ain't science cool? Now, if you'd like to see this process in action, you don't have to move to Vermont and sit through an endless winter. You can grow beautiful crystals in your own kitchen, and here's how. Now grab a piece of paper and write this down, or go to the website and download the transcript. Here's what you're going to need. You need two tablespoons of ammonia, two tablespoons of laundry bluing, which you can get at the grocery store, two tablespoons of water, and a tablespoon of salt. Now mix those all together and then set them aside. And be careful, because the bluing is indeed blue and it can stain. Next, take a small kitchen sponge and cut it into one-inch pieces. And put the pieces in a small paper bowl, the kind that ice cream is served in at kids' birthday parties. You can also use a jar if you want to. And by the way, you don't have to sacrifice a sponge. You can also use small rocks, pieces of brick, and so on. But the sponges hold more of the solution and usually yield bigger crystals. I've tried both. Now pour the mixture you just created all over the sponge pieces or whatever you're using for your substrate, then set the bowl aside and let it stand for a few days or maybe a week, depending on your local humidity. Large, delicate crystalline fans, dendrites, will form. Now the reason this works is because laundry bluing contains a high concentration of iron ferrocyanide, so it forces the salt to crystallize into dendrites instead of the little cubes we talked about earlier. How cool is that? Professor Proton, signing off. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, and I just want to take a few additional seconds to thank you for the gift of your time. I started this program because I believe that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that the only thing that ties the episodes together is that each one covers a story that deserves to be told, and that each story is something that you should be curious about. 
I hope you enjoyed the journey we covered in this program, and if you did, please take a couple of minutes to write a brief review wherever you get your podcasts. I cannot tell you how much it means and how valuable it is to have those reviews. From my heart, thank you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.